HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, coming to you live, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. It's a lovely sunny day here in Bushwick, and you're tuned into the Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and today we are on the line with uh, a very dear friend, Margot Brooks of the Sugar House Creamery. Margot, welcome to the show. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me on. So I'm excited to kind of tuck into your most uh, recent and ambitious adventures. But before we do, I want to give folks a little bit of a sense of your background. Now, we met when you were working as a cheesemaker and then a farm manager up at Consider Bardwell Farms. So can you tell us how you got from, you know, college to Consider Bardwell and then, you know, about your most recent transition? Sure. Um, well, I, I went to college at um, St. Lawrence University, which is in far northern New York State. Um, before that, I, I grew up on a dairy farm in central New York. Um, and after college, sort of my senior year of college, I started thinking more and more about, I was a biology major and was taking a lot of conservation biology classes, and I started thinking more and more about returning to my family's farm and kind of... Uh, continuing that tradition there, maybe diversifying things a bit. And um, so I, my senior year, sort of the, the wheels started turning about that, and I knew in order to go back to my, my family's farm and um, actually make a living there or um, generate more income for the, for the family farm, I, I would need to learn how to make a value-added product out of, out of milk, which was the main um, focus of my family's farm. Uh, so I started putting feelers out here and there, just emailing um, just different places I found online that made cheese in the Northeast. So I sent emails to cheesemakers in Maine and Vermont and New York and all over the place, and I just ended up getting an email back from from one 
cheesemaker in particular, or farm in particular, which was considered Bridewell Farm. And they had just lost a, um, a cheesemaker and had an opening, and so they asked me to come out for an interview, and I went, and um, that's how it all started. And that's how you started. And how long were you at Consider Bardwell? I was there from Ju- June 2008 until uh, this past October, so October of um, 2012. 2012. And obviously you weren't there alone. You were there with your uh, your partner, Alex Eaton, who is up at the creamery with you now as well, correct? Yep, that's right. He, um, I started at Conservable as a cheesemaker, and I kind of... Um, they they had another opening shortly after I started for a herds person, someone to help out on the farm with the with the goats. At that time, they were milking around forty five um, Oberhasleys, and so I kind of pushed and pushed for Alex, and uh, he came up for an interview and ended up getting a job there as well. And we we both we stayed on there for for quite some time. Nice. Well, so after you know, kind of. The experience that you gained at Consider Bardwell, I mean, you guys decided it was time to pursue your own operation. And and at this point, you know, you growing up on a dairy farm and then Alex and you working together on both the, you know, you on the cheese side and then both of you on the farming side. Um, I, I feel like you had enough experience under your belt to kind of know what you were getting into. So can you talk about like that next step? You're like, okay, we're ready. We're looking for a place. I mean, how does one kind of go go about that? What was your criteria with regards to geography or, or price? Um, how did you even get started in that that search process? Yeah. So um, yeah, I just reached a certain point where we felt like you know we just had that itch to to try it on our own and try our own thing, and we were interested in just the whole. Uh, the whole thing, just from start to finish, making a product that you could stand behind and and that represented you and that you represented. And um, so we just kind of casually started looking, putting, you know, just it was kind of a fun thing just to look at real estate. And um, it wasn't very serious um, in the beginning. We just kind of would poke around online and mostly in Vermont um, because, that's where we were at the time. We really loved Vermont. Um, we liked the kind of the sustainable ag scene that was happening there. It's just um, a lot of small farms, a lot of um, just innovative little products being made. Um, so we were focusing mostly on Vermont, but what we were finding is that the property that was for sale there was just um, – inhibitively expensive. It just was always like, well, we could never, ever um, afford this. So uh, we we just started to think, well, maybe we, should, we shouldn't be so focused on Vermont. Maybe we should extend our search. And I was... Um, I was pretty... You know, we, there was definitely cheaper, cheaper farm properties in... Um, central New York area where I grew up, but there isn't much of a local food movement happening there. There's not much of a market. And what we really wanted was uh, a place where we could farm and sell a product within a local radius, not have to necessarily drive it really far to an urban center. So um, we we both were familiar with the Adirondacks because of 
um, going to school at St. Lawrence and kind of being in this area a little bit from that. And um, so we just kind of started looking a little bit in the Adirondacks, and we ended up finding this uh, this farm just just in one of our searches and decided to take a drive up here one Sunday and look at it, and that's how it all started. So once you kind of like found a property that you felt like was the kind of size and, and scope and, and, you know, accessible from a price percentage. And I want to talk about the financial aspect a little bit, because obviously you and Alex had been working as, as cheesemakers and then farmers. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, well, uh, I'm, I'm sure you were able to make a living. It's not a particularly lucrative field. Um, and when you're looking to make a purchase, uh, like buying a farm, I mean, where does that capital come from? How did you guys um, save for that and, and plan for that? And what were some of the support systems that allowed you to um, purchase your farm? Sure. Um, yeah, we. that was always a big question for us, too. Like We, we wanted to do it, but um, didn't really know how that was all going to transpire. And... Um, but when we finally did, we came up and looked at this property for the first time, and um, the real estate listing that we had looked at really didn't have, it didn't include a lot of um, of photos of the place or anything, so we, we didn't have a good idea of what we would even find when we got here, but what we found were there were two, two houses on the property, um, some really nice barn, farm infrastructure, a really nice barn, and a few other uh, outbuildings, and um, the location was just um, really great. It's about five minutes from Whiteface Mountain, um, about 15 minutes from Lake Placid, and some other um, kind of tourist centers where there's year-round kind of visitors coming to the area, and we just felt this great potential to actually create a viable farm business here on a really small scale. Um, so the first, you know, we looked at it just the two of us the first time, and then um, thought about it more and more after seeing it that first time, and decided to um, reach out to Alex's folks, Alex's parents, and bring them up here and have them take a look at it too, and then together um, kind of hatched a plan for how we might be able to actually make an offer and purchase the property. And so we just kind of pitched it to them as a business opportunity um, and an investment in us. And we really, you know, they were very fortunate that they um, are, are more than supportive of of us and what we want to do. And they knew that we were serious. We, we had quite a bit of experience under our belts, although, you know, you can never have too much, I don't, I don't think. But um, they knew that we were... We're serious. We weren't just, this wasn't just a passing fancy for us. We, we really wanted to do this and we, we, um, had ideas for how we could make it work. And so, so we made an offer together with them. And so now we're, um, and we, we ended up getting the place. So we have a mortgage that we pay to, uh, Max and Susan, who are Alex's parents. And so the business that you're looking to create, because I don't think we actually told anybody what that was, is is what? Uh, that is a small kind of micro raw milk dairy and cheese making operation. So 
what we hope to do is milk 12 cows, which is about what our pasture base can support, at least initially. Um, we'll be selling raw milk from the farm and also making some cheeses. So mostly we're just going to concentrate on making a few, maybe just even two varieties of cheese and just doing them really well. And um, one of the big investments that we made was in a uh, underground cheese aging cave. Uh, it's a very beautiful structure. It's 10 feet wide by uh, 20 feet long with an arched ceiling that's 10 feet high, and it'll be buried five feet underground, so it should maintain a constant 50 to 52 degree temperature and just create some excellent um, aged raw cheeses. So that's our that's going to be our main business. Lovely. And what, uh, what do you anticipate the timeline between, um, uh, you know, the purchase of the farm and when, you know, you're going to actually be in cheese production mode? And, and maybe let's, you know, take a moment to kind of walk through what those steps are. But what's the goal for kind of, you know, the, the first sale of cheese from a time perspective? Sure. So we, we ended up buying the property um, in August of last year, so actually right around now, um, one year ago. And, um, but we, we, we had to, you know, transition out of our roles as farm managers at Consider Bardwell Farm, and so we didn't um, actually move here until October of last year, and that's really when we hope to be making some products uh, this year. Wow. So, um, we, and maybe by product, it might only just be the raw milk sales initially, and then we'll um, have the creamery online by November, but we still um, are hoping that we can actually be making cheese by October, but um, we'll see. Well, so we'll I want... see how all these projects, um, <laughs> how quickly they move along before we can be making cheese, so. So, I mean, one of the things that you guys were focused on uh, with regards to your property search was being in uh, an area that could support the products you were making that had kind of a year-round uh, tourist or consumer base that would, would purchase your items. But I'm curious, on the other end, from from uh, the farming infrastructure uh, perspective, um, how that kind of worked into your decision making and, and how you're finding the community now that you're there and you're kind of looking to be building out um, your operation and you're looking for different, uh, you know, equipment with regards to, uh, you know, tractor, tractor supply or, you know, large animal vets, what, what your experience has been from the farming infrastructure aspect? Sure. Yeah, that's been a really interesting part of, um, of moving here and and figuring it all out, um, we definitely kind of uh, glossed that over when we were looking at the property. Um, we were focused more on marketability of product and um, and location in terms of just being able to to sell whatever we make, and um, so we we forgot to we didn't really appreciate the fact that there weren't other farms in the immediate area, um, and especially not dairy farms, um, which makes it all the more, which makes our product all the more marketable, but also makes it a bit difficult when you're getting started because um, there aren't those that 
there isn't that infrastructure in place. There isn't a uh, feed store just down the road. There isn't an agway. There isn't a tractor supply um, and large animal vet. That's a big one. Uh, so it's it's been difficult because we we actually do have some animals now. We have three cows and um, well, two are heifers that haven't yet had any calves, but they are bred. And the other one um, just had her calf about forty days ago, so she's we're milking her twice a day. And of course, when when you have animals, you just have situations that arise, and you it would be really nice to just be able to go next door like we could in Vermont and just borrow X, Y, or Z from a neighbor, you know, bale of hay or um, some ichthamol to put on a sore foot or, uh, you know, just anything, you name it. Um, but here we really we can't at all. So it just it makes it a lot harder whenever any little situation arises to um, to deal with that. So we have to... Sure. We're, we're learning that we have to plan into it. So when we when we do make that hour long trip to Plattsburgh, we have to stock up way more and anticipate any future needs we might have. Um, and just it it is more costly that way because you're just trying to you have to spend a lot of money to build up your inventory of your arsenal of of things. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, like any um, like anyone who has experienced uh, a move. You know, you show up and you reach for the dish soap or the toilet bowl cleaner or whatever it may have you. And there's all those kind of unexpected costs that find their way into your life. Well, Margot, hang tight. We are going to move to just a short break and we come back. I want to talk a little bit about some of the the projects that you mentioned and and get a sense of how things are going. But we'll we'll, we'll take a quick break. So hang tight. And this one's called Girl, I'm a Freak from the Full Service Pasta Movie EP. And as you know, you're listening to The Farm Report on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. All right, thanks. We are back. You've tuned into the Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and we're on the line with Margot Brooks of the Sugar House Creamery. So, Margot, you know, you and you and Alex kind of uh, pack your bags and and drive up to the new property. And I'm wondering, I'm sure that you sat down and you started kind of making a list of of what were the things that you were going to need to do before you were going to be able to be in operation. So maybe you can take us through some of those main projects um, and then we'll go back through and kind of tuck into um, where they're at. Sure, yeah. Um, so one of our big things was, well, what are we going to do when we arrive on the, at this farm in 
in October and we don't have any income and, you know, how are we going to make this work? So, um, when we, when they actually accepted the offer that we made on the property, we, um, right away started in on working on the rental. We have two houses, as I mentioned, on the property. So one we decided would be a rental house. Um, and if we could rent it for $900 a month, then that would pay the taxes on the property. So we knew that we had to do that. So we, um, we would come up on weekends and just work on that house, get it ready to rent. It didn't need too much, but it did need some kind of aesthetic alterations and just, um, you know, good cleaning and little things. So we, um, we made that our first goal was to get that all ready. And one of the things we also did with that house is we separated off one little back area, which had its own um, self-enclosed. It was kind of a, I think it was like a guest annex for like a mother-in-law or something. So it had its own bathroom and it was actually metered separately from the rest of the house already. So we just put up a wall to separate it completely from the rest of that house. And we decided to make that a little Airbnb room. Um, and so those were our two main goals was to get the house rentable and have this little Airbnb room um, so that we knew we could have, you know, we didn't have any way of knowing how it would how it would uh, work if we would actually get guests that would want to stay there, but at least we it, we had something that we could make income on. Um, and then we knew we needed to get jobs right away, so we just went out and started looking, 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 and um, pretty quickly actually found uh, some jobs. So I just I found a job as a waitress at a local cafe, and Alex found a job working at a a retail store in town. It's just you know, a five-minute drive, and so we took full-time jobs right away. So going into winter, we knew we had work and we had some income from the rental in the Airbnb room. And so then once we were here, we were doing those things, and we just started um, writing our business plan. So that was what we worked on most of the winter was just getting our, our business plan together so that we could go out and actually get some um startup capital so uh, the the winter is passing you're both working full-time essentially off the farm um talk to us a little bit about the 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 capital program i mean how how did that go for you guys was it like you know you walked into the bank you're like hey we're here we're great give us money and the bank was like yes here you go get started or was it maybe not quite that smooth (laughs) Um, it wasn't quite that smooth, but um, so what we ended up doing was, you know, working on our business plan, um, and we have some really good advisors in um, both of our families, so we keep editing and running by them, and we just got it to a crunched all the numbers. We just did a lot of, of market research and just really fleshed out the business plan to get it, you know, we really wanted that to look really nice and professional um, when we took it out and shopped it around. So we uh, we got that to a point where we felt really good about it, and then we put on our best clothing, our nicest, <laughs> nicest, <laughs> nicest farm pants, and uh, we, we took it first to the Adirondack Economic Development Corporation um, because we knew that from what we'd heard, you know, out, out and about that, is that um, conventional lenders don't really want to lend to 
farms. They, they just don't understand farms. They don't feel comfortable um, lending to farms, really. So uh, we we ended up going to the Adirondack Economic Development Corporation with our business plan, and the guy there was very nice, and he he told us that they lend money, but they don't. They only lend once you've been denied by a conventional lender. So, um, so then we we came back home and we kind of recollected ourselves, and we decided to um, reach out to a farm lending association, a Yankee Farm Credit. They're called, and they have a branch in Middlebury, Vermont, and that branch services this area of New York. So we. We got in touch with them, and we we started the process through them. So there were some applications we had to fill out, and um, we had to have they had to come out and look at the property, look at the farm, and meet us. And we just kind of kept moving through that process all winter. And one big thing that was helpful in getting our um, startup uh, loan was that we could, because we have the mortgage on the farm through. Uh, Max and Susan, Alex's parents, we could use the farm as an asset in our favor. So we could essentially leverage um, the farm against the money we were trying to borrow. So that's um, that was huge. But they were also, they actually were, I don't think we could have gotten the startup loan if we had, if we didn't have the business plan um, as well done as we did. They were, they were very impressed with the the uh, business plan we had done and with the experience that we had gained at Consider Bardwell, that really, really, really helped us. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I think after kind of putting in, you know, almost four years uh, of work, there is a certain level of like, okay, these kids are serious. Um, Mm -hmm. So you were looking to, to get the loan to purchase what? What did you need to, and what are you working on to kind of get things operational? Well, we needed, um, well, the, the farm, just the farm property here included a, um, a really nice big 1920s gamble, Dutch gamble style, uh, dairy barn, which was in beautiful condition, but it did not have a, um, milk house. It didn't have any, it doesn't, it still doesn't have any plumbing in it. It hadn't, hadn't, didn't have water running to it. Um, it was just kind of, I think back back in the 20s, they milked in it, but they just had a spring house, so it was a spring-fed cistern, and they um, it never really got milked in after that, so they, they didn't upgrade any of the infrastructure, so it was just kind of a bare-bones barn. Um, so we needed to build a milk house. We needed to build a creamery or a cheese processing facility, Um we really wanted to put in this cave, which we built, um, to age cheeses, uh, and be able to, to do that in a, through a passively cooled system. So not having to constantly cool a space to age cheeses, but just have it be buried underground. Um, and then we needed a, uh, a winter housing, um, structure. So the, current barn, or the barn that was here, was we planned to use for milking in, but not for actually housing cows in. It's kind of an old 
tie stall barn, so a barn where cows would have been tied in all the time. And we really wanted a barn where the cows could loaf in an open space in the winter and not be tied in. And um, so we, we needed money to build that barn. And just kind of your basic startup costs, um, we needed a cheese vat, um, a bulk tank, all the sinks and just little equipment pieces that we would need, a tractor, um, and then we also factored in five months of operating capital just to to get us started um, for the first, like, buying cheese cultures, buying all our soaps, um, all of our detergents and things we need to use to wash, our hay, our grain. So there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of capital that needs to go into starting an operation like this. Um, sure. Which is why not a lot of not a lot of farmers make that jump into processing from just dairy farming because it is very expensive. Yeah, and a lot of lot of moving parts. Now, you guys were both working off the farm throughout the winter, but are you both still kind of accomplishing all of this work and working off farm, or how are you uh, making a living now? So we once we actually secured the um, the loan for the startup loan, which was back uh, in May, the very end of May. Um, we before prior to actually getting the loan, we were just kind of doing what we could um, without money. You know, just breaking down the barns that were here were kind of filled with uh, junk and needed to be cleaned out and cleared out. And the space where we wanted to put the creamery and the uh, milk house needed to be deconstructed, kind of the siding ripped off, the walls cleaned out. Um, so we were able to do that while we were, were working our off-farm jobs and um, before we had any real money to work with. Um, we had to get a few dumpsters and fill those full of stuff and um, just kind of clear out spaces and get them prepped for the major construction. And um, once we got the loans, um, Alex cut back to working part-time at his job, and I still stayed on full-time. So we, we decided beforehand that I could make more money as a waitress than he could as a salesman at a store, and, um, and he could be of more use here on the farm than I could during this construction period. So I, my primary um, perfect role right now is just kind of the sugar mama <laughs> uh, waitressing. And, um, and actually the Airbnb room I mentioned before is, is, um, is helping out a lot, actually. It's, um, the location is good, and uh, the more it's one of those social media-type um, websites, Airbnb, where people review you after they stay in your room, and the more reviews you get, the kind of snowballs, and you, um, you, you know, you get more and more uh, business, so we've had that rented out quite a bit, and it's actually doing pretty well, so we're managing that all along. We cook breakfast for guests when they stay, and um, they get to, you know, it's also a little way to promote our uh, future business, so we give them a tour, and we... Um, know, put a little business card in the room, so that's that's a, a good way to promote the, the future business. But um, so I'm still working full time. Alex is working part time, and we're um, now that we have the loan, we're able to uh, really start spending some money. <laughs> so that's mostly what we're doing. <laughs> um, 
So now that you've been in the community for, you know, coming up on uh, on just about a year, um, you know, are you finding, like, can you give us a sense of, like, what the, a little flavor of the local color up there, what the, what the people are like, and, and anything that you're, you know, we're kind of surprised, surprised by or have been surprised by with how people are, you know, receiving you in the community? Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the hidden benefits of um, me waitressing at some of the local restaurants is that I can just shamelessly self-promote and talk to all, to all my tables about what I'm doing and what, what Alex and I are doing and the farm and future cheese. And um, so I've just been able to meet a ton of people, and everyone is just really receptive. People are really uh encouraging and excited, and I think that's also part of being a young farmer um, and just being young and starting probably any business is that, um, you know, people get excited for you, and they, they really root for you, and they want you to succeed. They want you to um, they want you to do well, and they want to support you. And um, so we, right now, we're just in this period where we're really anxious to get some product out there because we've been talking ourselves up so much and um, getting people excited and now they're every time you know you see someone they're like when when's the cheese coming they're just waiting for it and um but that's been a really cool thing is that people up here seem to be really excited and anxious they, I mean they see what's happening across the lake in Vermont and they see the, they want they're very excited about the local food movement but in the Adirondacks there aren't many farms it's kind of traditionally a um a logging area the, the land is the soil's not very great. The land's a little rough, and um, so they don't have that local food availability like they do, uh, or like you find in Vermont. So they're just excited to have it to have it starting over here. And and we're not the only um, farm that's just starting out. There are a couple others um, also in various degrees of startup right around here. Uh, just mostly just north of us. Um, so people, there, there really seems to be an energy here that that was less so in Vermont. There was a lot of local food happening in Vermont, Vermont, but it was it was more, um, you know, the wave had already come and it was like it had already crested, and people were kind of it was just becoming normal. And here it's just, you know, you're you're we're in the front of the wave. Yeah, you're pioneers. Well, so for folks who want to come up and hang in the Airbnb room or follow your progress as you guys work towards the, you know, first kind of wheel or tub of cheese, what's the best way for folks to stay in touch? Yeah, so we, we've we been trying to stay on top of our blog. We keep a, a Tumblr blog at sugarhousecreamery.tumblr.com, and Tumblr is spelled T-U-M-B-L-R. Um, and that's, we try to post a few times a week, post a picture and just a little, you know, what, what's going on on the farm thing and mostly probably just for our parents and grandparents to look at. But, um, uh, we love for anyone to, who's interested to follow our, our progress. Um, and, and we have a website, but it's just, it's empty. There's just a link to our blog on it right now, but we do, um, hope to have a nice website at some point in the future. Excellent. Um, and then the Airbnb, yeah. it, uh, do folks just search you through there or how, how if they want to come up to stay for the weekend or during the week, how do they find you on that? 
Oh, yeah. So on Airbnb, if you just um, search, our our room is called Adirondack Farmhouse Suite. And But if you just search any anywhere in Keene, New York, or Upper J, New York, our room is one of the first ones that comes up because of that um, review process I was talking about. And we have had a lot of people stay, and every time we get a review, it kind of bumps us up on the, the search results. So um, if you look for... J New York, Upper J New York, um, or just put in Adirondack Farmhouse Suite. You'll find our room. Awesome. Margo, thanks so much. I'm looking forward to making the trip up myself and uh, tasting some of the cheese and, and getting to hang out with you. And Alex, want to send a big thank you and hello to him and, and Stella, my old friend. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. We'll be in touch soon. So thank you so much uh, for tuning in to another episode of The Farm Report. Uh, Stay tuned. Next Thursday, we'll be talking with Olivia Blancheflower from Grow NYC's Co., their wholesale uh, market. So tune in for that. This uh, episode, like all 30 of our live weekly shows, is available for free um, via our website. Or you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio. We are a member-supported organization, so if you like what you're hearing and want to support our work, please click that Donate tab and become a member today. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned in. Whole Foods. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.